This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land. We acknowledge the First Nations and elders of this country and we join their calls for justice. Um, the reviews are in. What did you think of my comedy, Emerald Moon? <laughs> uh, thumbs perhaps, up, thumbs down. Well, maybe instead of using my review, we should just <laughs> consider what my father said about the show <laughs> that I brought him to, uh, Tom Ballard comedy show. We standing outside and I was like, what did you think? And he was like, yeah, was, was that his first time? <laughs> 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 what are you in Brunswick heads? No, like doing doing comedy. <laughs> <laughs> just kicking off with a nice little work in progress show, $35 tickets. Just just try give it a go, you know, see what's gonna happen. Yeah, my dad goes, was that his first time? My mum delivered like a brutal <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it was a heckle, it was just her response to Tom asking, Have you ever ordered McDonald's on Uber Eats? And my mum goes, <laughs> that was it really was guttural it was sort of came from her soul that was quite yeah good. i think she mean she even was like i don't know where that came from i mean partly it came from the fact that there's no uber eats in brunswick heads where you were doing the show so i should have done um, my research should yeah a little research. bit silly we were but you know we held you to account in that audience i feel Fucking um, hell. The fact checkers of Brunswick Heads were out, out in force. I do a joke where I say, oh, Australia, we're not a real country, as I go on to, you know, do more punchlines based on that premise. And I just said, Australia's not a real country. And what we just said, we are. We are. Oh, yeah. Great. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. My mistake. I made a terrible mistake. You're trying to transition seamlessly into a joke about the carbon footprint. And you ask someone in the front row, do you know your carbon footprint? She's like, Yes. <laughs> Yes, minus 2,000. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hippies, all of you. You don't deserve Mm. my first comedy gig. Um, Thanks for coming. Anyway. Very cute photograph of Tom, me, my dad, my mum. Yeah, taken by my little sister on the Instagram now, at SeriousDangerAU, if you want to go and have a look. You may get an understanding of where... My physical stature comes from seeing my my lovely little dad. I told dad to look. Dad was also like, how do you know this person? I was like, I do a podcast with him. You do a podcast? <laughs> yes. Papa. Yes. I told him to listen. Maybe he's listening. I hope so. What's his name again? Sorry. Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Good on you, Jeff. I bet he's not listening. <laughs> okay, great. Well, we've got you and you're basically Jeff in a wig, so it's fine. This is true. No Strong genes. <laughs> The Greens bring such idiocy, they are not interested in the facts. I wonder if any of them have read any history outside the kind of green activist history from the the inner Melbourne suburbs. Frankly, I've always found the Greens to be a real serious danger to Australia. Serious danger to Australia. Hey, this is Serious Danger, a podcast about green politics in Australia. You know it, you love it. It's not an official Greens Party podcast. We're back. We're making new stuff. I was away. There were two women running the show last week. It was fucking wild. Mm. Yeah, but yeah. don't worry, everyone. The man has returned. Sorry about that. We've got that male balance here to keep hey. our emotions in check. Won't be suffering any bouts of female hysteria, I hope, during this episode. Damn right. This is made possible with the help of the Green Institute and produced by Michael the Griff Griffin. This week, we are discussing the tragic passing and the life and times of Liberal Senator Jim Mullen, RAP, <laughs> and Head of Invasion Day 2023. We're going to be joined by the host of the podcast Frontier War Stories, Gimela Ray and Kuma Man, Bo Spiram. He's going to be joining us on the program. Mm-hmm. We have new patrons uh, since last week's episode, Claire, Bonnie and Frith, and, of course, a big shout-out to Nick, who edited his pledge from $3 to $4.20. Nice. nice. You can support Real the show nice. on Patreon. Just three bucks a month. It's all we ask. Um, it does make a big difference. If you're thinking, hmm, this year, what can I do to support like independent coverage of what is happening in Australia politics that actually talks about radical left solutions and is willing to criticize the centrist bullshit that we are fed by most mainstream media outlets? If you want to do that, just support the show and and pay Mike, our producer. SeriousDangerPod.com has all the details. Please also follow us on the social medias at SeriousDangerAU. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. That's the, that's the one. For all your Those info, you can go to SeriousDangerPod.com. I said that. For all your Serious Danger link. needs. Oh, you did. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. My bad. Sorry, I'm a bit rusty. It's been a while. Yes. <laughs> a song for that right-wing fuckwit Senator Jim Mullen by Mike Carlton on Twitter, 2018. 
He is the very model of a liberal major general, to the right of Genghis Khan in matters spiritual and temporal. He fears those evil Muslims are becoming far too populous. He spouts the arrant drivel of that Milo Yiannopoulos. His political opinions are vapid and ephemeral, but he's the very model of a liberal major general. Liberal. I've just, my brain's all over the place. It's been such a tough week. You know, mm. uh, we're all in mourning because former major general, liberal senator, Jim Mullen from New South Wales, lost his battle with cancer at the age of 72, passed away. We've lost the Nazi Pope. We've lost George Pell. And now we've lost Jimbo. Where were you mm. when you heard the news, Emerald Moon? Don't remember. Probably the gym. <laughs> <laughs> I'm usually in the gym when I hear about people dying because you get the early morning news bulletin and I'm just pumping weights. And how did, how did it make you feel? Uh, unamused, ambivalent. <laughs> I don't. Neutral. It didn't affect my life. I would have checked my phone and then been like, oh, my, my minute 30 of rest is over. Time to humiliate myself trying to do pull-ups. <laughs> Back to working out so I don't die. Yeah, um, exactly. How familiar were you with uh, Jim Mullen, the man, the legend? Not actually very familiar. I think you are more familiar than me. I have a basic picture. I didn't feel like I needed to know much more, but I'm going to learn more, I think, in this episode. I knew he would did bad things in war. <laughs> Correct. Bad man. Um, I think if you had to say that, you know, cancer is terrible and anyone dying at 72 is bad and it would be very sad for his family and obviously for his friends and people who know him, etc., etc., etc. I don't think that him dying is a victory for the left and we don't need to dance no. on his grave or anything. Yeah. But certainly I think the reaction from the political and media class went a whole lot further than uh. just not <laughs> celebrating his death. Um, Peter Dutton said he was a patriot, a great defender of our country. Defence Minister Richard Miles said he was an honourable and gracious man who had been a fierce advocate for our nation. Anthony Albanese described him as a man of principle and a politician of conviction. There was, this is was a recurring theme. It was just like this motherfucker believed in what he believed and said it really like loudly and forcefully and never backed down from his beliefs, which is a problem if your beliefs are dog shit. But yeah, you know, that's just my thought. Yeah, actually not good in that case. And even our very own Green Senate leader and former Serious Danger guest, Larissa Waters. Former crush. Former mm. crush. She tweeted, Vale Senator Jim Mullen, on behalf of the Greens Senate team, our heartfelt condolences to his family, friends, and all those grieving his loss, despite our philosophical differences, the ethic of service, his ethic of service, has our respect. Mm. Emerald, Larissa was this a rare Vale's. posting fail from our problematic Larissa. fave, Larissa Waters? <laughs> Look, we all make mistakes. We are maybe more prone to making mistakes when it's January and we might be on leave or like just returning from leave. Maybe there are a few people on, on deck to have conversations about whether to post about the war criminal who you happen to work with who just died. I also think that everyone fucking overthinks this stuff and they're like, what should we post? What should our reaction be? What should we do? What are they going to do if we do nothing? And I'm like, it does not matter. You do not need to do anything. Doesn't if nope. it's not your role. Like as a politician, you are trying to like as a Greens politician, you're trying to make material differences in people's lives and like save the world from climate change. You need to make <laughs> decisions on that basis. Is it going to do that? Is it going to have any political gain? Tweeting about Jim Bolin? Nah. Yeah. Uh, do nothing would be your prescription in these particular circumstances. Yes. If you happen to come across his like his immediate family or something, you might want to offer your condolences IRL. You don't need mm. to post. Never post. Never post. That's the rule. I think it's the, the also the, the big sticking point, a problem with the wall-to-wall -wall, uh, hagiography, just unquestioning celebration of this guy and his legacy, not just like him, oh, he was a nice guy or whatever. Mm. It's like, no, his, his service and his career and all the things that he did, like literally mm. identifying the legacy of Jim Mullen and we've got nothing to report here but good news, that's how how fucked it is. So You mean even the philosophical if differences. <laughs> <laughs> Which she clearly means, you know, the during the Senate debate, and I'm sure she crossed paths with him, yes, as an individual, and they had fights on the Senate floor about certain yeah, yeah, you know, which you could describe as philosophical differences, but it completely ignores and is blind it's, to yeah. Jim Mullen's career and his history of overseeing, being extremely close to 
potentially, you could argue in a court of law, committing allegedly uh, what we would consider allegedly war crimes. I mean, he can't he can't sue us anymore for True. defamation, and you can't defame the dead. So there you go. Not alleged. Alleged by us. Because <laughs> it's true. Um, <laughs> Proven. I think, yeah, very quickly for people who aren't aware, let's talk about mm, this guy's actual like me. Tell me. history. I'll give you the lowdown. He served in the military for 40 years. He served in Indonesia and East Timor. Most famously, he was the Coalition Forces Chief of Operations from 2004 to 2006 in Iraq, the Iraq War, the notoriously successful and good Iraq War. That sounds pretty high up. I'm not familiar with the military hierarchy, but that sounds high. Big cheese. Like it's it's actually extraordinary how much influence he had. He oversaw the bombing campaigns of the cities Najaf and Samara and commanded Operation Fury, which was the brutal leveling of the city of Fallujah. Um, Coalition forces bombed Fallujah to try and wipe out Iraqi resistance fighters. So these are people who, you know, Mm. their country is invaded and occupied by the US. They have the gall Mm -hmm. to try and resist that in some way. Mm. And, of course, they need to be taken care of with fuckloads of bombs. Yeah. When the bombing began, the city was still home to more than 30,000 civilians. Many of them were prevented from fleeing. Others were simply too old or infirm to get out of the city. Coalition forces sealed off all the routes out of Fallujah once the bombing began. And remember during these times, like, if you were just a dude aged between 15 and 55, no matter what you did or what you believed or what you involved in, you were just an enemy combatant, right? So all these, you know, US attacks, drone strikes... When they kill enemy combatants, they mean, oh, we killed a man who was aged between 15 and 55, therefore it's all legitimate cool. and it's well, all Well, isn't good. that exactly what the Greens are all about, hating middle-aged men? <laughs> That's a take. <laughs> we, 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 Australia's involvement in Iraq war. Jim Mullen was doing what Clementine Ford wanted, <laughs> killing all men. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the end result. They cut off water and electricity to the city during Fallujah. Uh, agencies, aid agencies were denied access to believe a basic humanitarian need. Uh, they seized Fallujah's only hospital. Two medical centres were bombed. There are reports of American snipers shooting at ambulances, which is a war crime under the Geneva Convention. The whole city was declared a weapons-free zone. I only learned about this researching this. That meant that you can shoot anyone for any reason. How does weapons-free zone mean that? Yeah, I guess your weapons are free, free to do what you will with your weapons. Basically, if you see anyone, that is you not suspect what that anyone, sounds like. shoot away. <laughs> Someone tells me something is gluten free, They're like which means we can put as much gluten as we want in there. What? Slightly different. Okay. Coalition forces were also found to be, and this is all reported at the time, to be using white phosphorus. That's a chemical weapon. It rapidly eats away at the skin, flesh, and bone of anyone who comes into contact with this. The use of that against civilians is illegal under the Geneva Convention, and it is because of these fucking horrific facts that people often referred to Mullen as the Butcher of Luja. And said, yeah, what, that guy, that guy either has questions to answer, re the war crimes that he oversaw while he was in charge, or is just mm. a straight up war criminal, which mm-hmm. I don't know. Reading over the research, it seems fair enough to at least talk about it in a very general sense um, that you could use the WC word. Seems like an accurate adjective. I mean, I think it's tricky because, like, if you say war crimes, you're probably talking about like there is a specific legal definition and people need to go through the international criminal court in order to be found mm. guilty of war crimes, right? So there is like this very legal, like specific legal understanding of which, of which Jim Mullen was never put on trial or found guilty of. But he was heavily involved in the Iraq war and the whole fucking thing was a crime based on a lie and was illegal. Well, yes, and anyone who's ever listened, speaking of my dad, I hope he's listening. My dad had this Bob Dylan songbook when I was little and a lot of the time that I can remember growing up with my dad as a very young child is him playing the guitar and singing Bob Dylan songs. And in particular, we used to sing Masters of War together, me as a very young <laughs> yes. child. That is, yeah, the idea that the, the, the people on whom to focus in the perpetration of like horrendous acts of war and war crimes are the mm. pe- like the soldiers who directly delivered those, you know, those acts is a little bit, Ah, uh, silly. In terms, you mean in terms of like we should focus on the military brass and the people who's like who are who are in control, who, the people at people the top are in of, control. Of the yeah, a little bit further operation. up the chain. I mean, in this case, it's even for like it's not as far removed as as some of the people that that you would argue should be held to account for this, such as the politicians who are making the orders, or even the corporations who are responsible for you know delivering the the arms or or controlling those yeah. politicians. But, yeah, yeah, the idea that you can be like, well, he's not a war crime because maybe he hasn't been shown to have directly been the person who who shot this unarmed civilian is right. like I, I think it's silly, as I said. 
Well, no, yeah, he totally, you know, it was his idea. And he's, that's the thing that he celebrated for, for these <laughs> campaigns. Yeah. Yeah. And also he loves that in reaction to the Brereton report and the actions of individual soldiers in Afghanistan, he was at pains to say this wasn't on the battlefield, okay? There were laws yeah. on the battlefield. All this stuff was off the battlefield and exactly. then trying to push some real, you know, bad apples bullshit of like, oh, they're just, just some soldiers out there in this horrible, bloody, illegal war who just really get carried away and they really forget mm, themselves. Such a shame. Uh, Mullen also just like never backed down, of course, and had no regrets whatsoever about fucking anything. Uh, about the war itself, about the reasons for going there. This is him writing in 2013. This is this is amazing. Was the Iraq War worth it? Probably a nugatory nugatory question. Nugatory? What Nug- the fuck does that mean? Nugatory question, a, a meaningless question or a useless question, I think. Yeah. Are we going to say that up to a certain number of dead, the war would have been worth it? What is that number then? Some say that more than 100,000 Iraqis were killed in the war and there are still some ideologues who believe the 2005 to 2006 account in the Lancet of a million killed. Now, it is quite hard to figure out the exact death toll yeah. and the Lancet death toll of a million has been called into question, but I'll tell you, it's way more than 100,000, motherfucker. Like all the, all the decent yeah. estimates definitely put uh, the death toll at way higher than, than 100,000, so it's real bad. If you insist on asking was it worth it, you should really have some casualty figure of your own that makes it a worthwhile war or not. Many no. that ask me this question. <laughs> no. What a fucking straw man argument. Many that ask me this question don't believe anyone should die in any war. Hmm. Okay. And so should be forced should never be used. If that is the case, we share no common ground as I believe that in certain circumstances, the use of force is legitimate and can be wise and then casualties are inevitable. If you continue to insist on simplistic questions, you should also be able to say what might have happened had the conflict not occurred. How many might have died had Saddam Hussein stayed? Do you ever think about that, Emerald? Uh, <laughs> go on. I mean, many say that the, the remember that the final report on WMD did conclude that Saddam intended to restart the weapons of mass destruction program as soon as sanctions were removed. Uh, Saddam caused it a war with Iran that cost a million lives. I mean, think of all the lives that we saved by killing mm, hundreds of thousands they of people. Saved, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Many say that the war was based on a lie because there was no WMD. For it to be yes. a lie, there must be an intention to deceive. There is oh probably more evidence to suggest that it was an error, a mistake, a stuff-up, than an in- indication of an outright lie put out by evil neocons. It is pushing the bounds of credibility to state unequivocally that this was a war based on a lie. What is in fact is that one of the justifications for the war turned out to be wrong. Wow, I knew this guy was bad. I didn't know what a fucking punisher he was. And, like, (laughs) if I had had to listen to this man in my workplace, there is no way I would be tweeting, like, RIP when he died. I've got some fucking philosophical differences, I tell you. Mm, Be less annoying. (laughs) (sighs) What The veneration of this guy to me, like, going through this research is, like, just tells you so much you need to know about how we still... Our still relationship to the war on terror and the actual cost mm. of our involvement in Iraq and Afghanistan. It's just like we're not allowed to talk about it, question it, think about it. It's all good. Anyone who served there is a genius and anyone who did anything bad is, a, is an outlier and not indicative of anything. I mean, is that still where we're fucking at, you know, two decades on is from it, the miserable, horrific it, failure that was the, the uh, war on terror? Wasn't it the biggest that it's more well, maybe it's now been subsumed by the climate protests that, like, the protest against the Iraq War was the biggest protest in Australian history mm. previously. I don't know if that's now been surpassed. Like, even at the time, that was the view. And I think surely now that there would be even more, like, anti-Iraq War sentiment among the Australian public. But I'm just a lefty. What would I know? Amongst the public, sorry, yes, I should reframe that in terms of the political and medial class, these same right, people who yeah. were sucking Jim Mullen's dick in death. Yeah, The well. ability to reckon with any of it or to dismiss and just brush away the horrific crimes that were committed at the hands of the West and the, our coalition forces in those places of the world based on a lie, a legal war that led to the destabilisation of the region and the rise of ISIS and, like, the blood that is on mm. the hands of everyone from John Howard to George W. Bush. Like, still, the people of the political class don't fucking get it. And then Jim Mullen's still out there saying, hey, we need to do more war at China, everyone. Absolute mm. warmonger, just always his solution to everything, more troops, more money for yeah. defence. Blood, 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 guns, 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 boom, boom, boom. I did nothing wrong. Yeah. Which which I almost think is pushes me to the point where I'm like, well, I actually think that because everyone is ignoring this in the political and media commentariat when Jim Mullen dies, I think there is value for left-wing voices and greeds, the actual left-wing party in this country, to actually say something that is critical. When he dies? Uh, yes. 
Mm, I mean, otherwise, otherwise, so just, what would you have just, tweeted if you were running the social media account of a Greens MP? What would you have tweeted? I'd, I'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> "This is going to be good." Sucked in, Jimmy boy. He's fucking dead. Right. Lol. No. On behalf of the, the Senate team, <laughs> <laughs> we had philosophical differences. Well, I mean, we talked uh, off air about Marine Fruki's tweet about the Queen. I mean, this is a political. Mm. This is a political moment. It has political ramifications. The way we talk about the Queen as an institution, the royal family as an institution, and her dying in contrast to all the glorification hagiography. Like that that is there is some value to that to sort of say, no. Right. You know, Jim Mullen has died. That is sad for him and his family and his friends. Condolences to them on a personal level. But let, we need to reckon with the legacy of Jim Mullen as a public figure, as a political figure, as a military figure, because we still have not actually reckoned with Australia's involvement in Iraq or Afghanistan or our investment in the war on terror, which is still a very shameful period in this country's history. I see what you mean then, that because of the the outpouring from the political and media class of like Vale Jim Boland, then it's important that we be an opposing force. Like I kind of get that, but at the same time, I just don't know if it's worth it when, yeah, we know that all the only coverage that that will get, like no one will pay any fucking attention to the political point that we're trying to make in that instance. Mm. They will just have a go at us. And surely it's like, well, just at every possible instance, we should be advancing that political perspective in and out of parliament as as a party. Like I'm still, yeah, I'm just still not convinced that you need to do the the tweeting because I just learned that they died thing. I'm just anti, I think I even, I mean, this could even just be like a personal thing. I think even, yeah, when someone dies, if you weren't close with them, why do you need to post? What about your ego is like, people need to hear from me right now. Mm. I, 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 I never really, I don't understand that. But I think, yeah, the conversation that we had about the Marine thing is I'm like, if you think it is absolutely essential to post and primarily that that would be justified because the Queen dying has had real world implications, like it could be an inflection point for the monarchy mm. and, you know, the the push for a republic in Australia, that maybe that is an important point for political intervention. I just don't know that Jim Mullen dying is an inflection point for our military approach, you know, in Australian of, of the Australian government or, or the Australian state, which is why I'm like, do we need to tweet that he died? Mm. It's interesting. Like, you know, look at the response to George Pell dying, you know, and I think mm. it was actually quite remarkable across a lot of the media, you know, some outlets went to the victims, right? And, and that, that, mm-hmm. that feels like a change. Like we got comments mm. from, you know, the usual figures about how great George Pell was, but like there was a real investment in, okay, this guy dies, what does his life and legacy in full mean? You know, let's have a think about the people that yeah, suffered I mean, at the hands of an institution that he vigorously defended and fucked over, you know, throughout his life. So, and what does that say about the strength of the church as an institution versus, like, the Australian military and state as an institution yes. or the monarchy as an institution? Right. Um, very quickly, some other some other reasons to hate Jim Mullen. He was Tony Evatt's special envoy on Operation Sovereign Borders, which he said Boom. was a policy success um, and something that every Australian should be extremely proud of. Fuck off, cunt. And they're saying that now they. Maybe Tony is one of the options to replace him in the Senate. I haven't really been following this. Or is that just a meme? I, apparently there is serious word that Tony Abbott is keen to re-enter public life. The pre-selection won't happen until after the March state election. Um, so okay. we've still, still got a little bit of time. Uh, Catherine Deves' name has also been thrown around to replace oh, Senator Jim Mullen. Wow, a star-studded cast of a pre-selection <laughs> ticket. Can't wait to see it. Jim Mullen loved a bit of climate doubt and denial. He said on Q&A that his mind was open about whether human activity was causing climate change. <laughs> Open in, sorry, open as in just like an empty space? Like <laughs> It's it's open for business. Come on yeah. in, crazy ideas. <laughs> There's literally tumbleweeds, you know, rolling through, wide open. You know, you should keep an open mind, but not so open that your brain falls out. <laughs> yep. That same year he walked out of the Senate rather than joining his Liberal colleagues to block debate on Pauline Hanson's All Lives Matter motion because he thought that it was important that senators should be able to express their views on that particular question. And finally, and this is when Molan v. the Greens sort of really got cooking, back in 2018, we found out that Jim Molan had shared two videos on his social media from Britain First, the white supremacist far-right organisation. One of the videos was titled Muslim Thugs Beat Girl in Holland. It had been completely debunked and was bullshit. This was clearly you know, racist, uh, anti-Islamic nonsense. Um, someone 
when he posted that video, someone commented on it, charming, and we're meant to be tolerant, accepting, and welcoming of this breed in our country, to which Mullen replied, unbelievable. That was his oh, he response to that. Oh, he replied to the unbelievable. Yeah. Maybe he thought that the comment was unbelievably racist. Unbelievable. Nah. People got outraged and he said, he didn't apologise, he said it was unwise to repost the two videos because they allowed my political opponents oh my to misrepresent God. me. I apologise for giving you an opportunity <laughs> to be shit. No, I'm really sorry that I did that because it allowed you to be a lying liar. Got him. <laughs> of course I'm not racist nor anti-Islam. I do not support Britain first. I'm anti-violence. You're in the military. You did Fallujah. Mm. I'm anti-violence and anti-civil disturbance. I am part of the most successful multicultural nation on earth. I'm proud of that. No apologies, no regrets. Is that what the US says? I put my life on the line for Islamic countries. For people to come out now and say that this is racist or is anti-Islamic, I find deeply offensive. Oh, he's offended. Sorry. Which then, that's what prompted Richard Di Natale in Parliament to sort of talk about Mullen's record in Fallujah and sort of say, you know, the war, war crimes going down, you were involved. He did that in Parliament. Then Adam Bant, mm. outside of Parliament, sort of repeated Uh-oh. and said, yeah, if there was an independent inquiry into this, Jim Mullen could be up for prosecution. <laughs> and he says that outside of Parliament, away from parliamentary privilege, Jim Nolan threatens defamation. And then Adam has to apologise twice, okay? Now, <laughs> he's, this is his first apology. He released a statement saying, Yesterday I made statements about Senator Jim Mullen on Sky TV. I hereby apologise for those statements. And that was it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And that wasn't good enough. That wasn't good enough? That wasn't good enough. So we had no. to do it. And Jim Mullen said, Oh, I still might see you for defamation. So Adam had to go again and say, I sincerely apologise and express my regret to Senator Mullen apologize. and to those who have served in Australia's operational theatres and to their families yeah. and friends who are offended by my comments. I propose to make a donation to a veterans organisation as an expression of my sincerity over this issue. Sure. Sure, why not? Veterans are not like fucking well looked after in this country. That's. I mean, that's a thing. That's totally fine. They're they're all worn out from doing war crimes. <laughs> Tom. I'm sorry, that's not true. That's not true. Uh veterans are victims of the imperial capitalist Thank state you. as well. Okay. Um, okay, so in summary, Jim Mullen is very, very bad. The fact that he died of cancer at 72 is sad for his family and people who know him. But he is still a political figure and his legacy should be talked about and questioned and we still absolutely need to reckon with the fucked up shit that we did throughout the war and terror. And Mm. I don't know, I guess we'll brace ourselves. I just always think about what's going to happen when John Howard dies. It's going to be just wall-to-wall horror. Um, It's going to be the most painful and annoying couple of weeks of our entire lives. You know that Labor's going to be like gun laws, though. Gun laws? Gun laws? I mean, you know, Iraq. I mean... But yes, also but gun, laws. gun laws. So Yeah. <laughs> this week we have Bo Spearham on the show. Bo is a Gamilarai and Kuma man. He's a podcaster and also an organizer with the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance or War in Mianjin, Brisbane. Thanks for coming on the show, Bo. All good, all good. Thanks for having us. <laughs> well, we we were keen to have you on in particular. Obviously, folks would all know Invasion Day is coming up. It's the 26th of January, next Thursday, mm-hmm. um, and you are pretty much every, every year, as I understand it, you're kind of involved in the local organising of rallies and, and protests against um, the celebration of of genocide on the 26th of January and just generally, you know, a bit of a, a call for justice for Aboriginal people. How long have you been involved in, in that organising? I'd say, I'd say actively nine years. Yeah. Uh, last year was would have been the first year that I didn't because I had been COVID. Mm. Um, I spent that whole week at home isolating, but attending over 20 years. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, especially here in Brizzy. Um, we always, you know, there's always a, a very solid core sort of, uh, group here in Brisbane. Um, and after 2012, the 40th anniversary of the 10 embassy in Canberra, that's mm. when things sort of started to expand and, and get, get much bigger. Mm. And then that's when sort of organizing, you know, I started getting involved in organizing up here. So 2012 onwards. Yeah. 
I, I remember clearly 2012, a lot of mob like from around the country went down to Canberra mm. and we had uh, one of the local organizing groups up here uh, organize Invasion Day and it just didn't like rub a lot of us right. Yeah. That's just sort of the mob organizing uh, that day. Mm. So we, yeah, we okay. made it in the, the following year to sort of hit the ground running. And we had a lot of momentum as well because in 2012, we set up the 10 Embassy in Musgrave Park. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was around March. Then by April, uh, May 16th, uh, about 250 cops came in, shut mm. the, whole, the whole of uh, South Brisbane down. And it was crazy. It was like, uh, I, I always remember it was like Star Wars, like the troops <laughs> walking down, like, like literally you can hear the footsteps walking down the side of yeah. the park. And then you had like the sergeants like up there, the sh- shoulders crossed. You know, and then the negotiators in, in the embassy with us sort of, you know, arguing with us and then they just like snatched us up like one by one. Yeah. And then like after that, like we, we, we grew quite a bit of momentum. And, and so like the actions, the, the, the gatherings, the meetings that we had really inspired Wall, uh, uh, to sort of start doing our own things and sort of, you know, being a collective organization for young Aboriginal people. Yeah. Mm. Because for folks who don't know now in in Brisbane, there's like, yeah, Musgrove Park, next to it there's Yuggera Hall and that's mm-hmm. where like a lot of Aboriginal events um, will kind of culminate. Like the, the rally on 26th January always ends in, in Musgrove Park and there's a big barbecue and, mm-hmm. you know, smoking ceremony and speakers and all of that. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, yeah, so I, I get the sense as well that war in Brisbane, in Manjin and like the Brisbane Blacks are quite radical, often like kind of leading the country in in a lot of ways and like calling to abolish the date before, you know, when other people were still calling to change the date. Mm-hmm. What are the key demands this year when we're, when we're going to be marching next week? Definitely, yeah. So, you know, uh, there's this whole push, you know, uh, from mainstream and sort of different pockets of sort of our society to have, you know, an alternative voice to parliament, all a voice to parliament, you know, and sort of, really hype up this conversation around constitutional change, which has been around for like the last 12 years. And I think successfully, you know, grassroots activism has really sort of put the nail, you know, in the coffin in regards to, you know, the the, the debate around sort of constitutional uh, reform or recognition. You know, it started with the Recognise campaign. Actually, you know, I mean, like this whole thing around constitutional recognition started with John Howard back in 2007. Mm-hmm. Uh, when him and Kevin Rudd were sort of having their debate about who wants to be sort of prime minister and who can do best for, for Aboriginal people. Do you want an apology or do you want, you know, constitutional reform or change? So, you know, um, that's how long the sort of discussion's been around for. But yeah, like yeah, at the moment, it, it's been a real uh, push to sort of understand and hear what other voices are out there and what other sort of stories are out there and alternative sort of uh, avenues we can go down. And there's there's a lot, you know, there's a lot out there. You know, uh, Michael Mansell in Tasmania has this concept called the seventh state. Uh, mm. He wrote a book about it, which I, I recommend a lot of non-Indigenous peoples to sort of look that up and get that. He's an Aboriginal lawyer from down Tassie, uh, been an activist for, you know, 40, 50 years. Uh, he's a part of the – he's what actually created the Aboriginal passport you know, flew to Libya, you know, back in the late 80s to, you know, get funding from Colonel Gaddafi, you know, who was funding revolutionary movements around the world at the time as well, you know, like training train the ANC in guerrilla warfare tactics. Very interesting, you know. Um, there's, you know, the conversation around, you know, a black parliament, you know, what that would look like. There's conversations mm-hmm. around, you know, uh, treaty as well. Like there's a, a lot of things out there, you know, um, republic, you know, independence. You know, there's, there's a lot of alternative discussions, you know, plus we have the opportunity to sort of look further outside of where we are and around the world to look at places like Aotearoa, you know, Turtle Islands, you know, in regards to relationships and sort of furthering sort of our uh, demands or our sort of conversations with sort of uh, state and federal governments as well. Like we know sort of the route that treaty uh, takes and the longevity that that it takes, you know, those things to be equal or those things to be acknowledged as well. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, treaty has been a long conversation in this country. You know, it was a real big push back in the 80s. Yeah. Um, I think it's sort of starting to get revamped at the moment because mm-hmm. uh, it has that sort of equal sort of 
I guess people understand that. People yeah. know that. And it's more tangible sort of discuss that than sort of, you know, uh, like understand sort of, like yeah, like it's taken a while, I think, for the for the discussion around sovereignty to sort of hit mm-hmm. home in sort of not just the Aboriginal community, but in the in the broader community as well. Mm-hmm. And I know that treaty has sort of sit well uh, amongst Aboriginal people because it's sort of been something that you know um, our old people have sort of discussed as well. And you know, what I mean, I think we're sitting in a really good position in regards to if it is you know a treaty or if it is a seven state or if it is something else that. I, that Aboriginal people want to discuss, you know, like um, we're like the only sort of Commonwealth nation and not to have sort of some kind of formal agreement as well. So, you know, like we're we're not in the position that New Zealand or Canada is in or certain parts of America as well that um, we can sort of have, you know, a more hopefully more meaningful dialogue. But then again, you know, like anything meaningful from this uh, country at the moment has... If anything, it's just been a nightmare. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a lot of the like the kind of the posters and and things that you had been tweeting about mm-hmm. next Thursday's protest will like using the hashtag Treaty Before Voice, which Before obviously voice. is also that's a big debate that's kind of been happening with the Greens taking that position that we want truth and treaty and voice in that order as opposed to you know voice first. Definitely, definitely, and I think the thing as well, like. You know, we need to go as radical as possible. You know, mm. when we talk about these things, what do we want in a treaty? You know, well, first we've got to understand like what's in a voice. You know, yeah. what does the voice of the parliament mean? It means an enshrined body in the constitution, but you know, uh, it's at the whim of whoever's at power. You know, it's a toothless mm. tiger at the end of the day. Where you know, conservative or you could be as conservative or, or as radical as you can be, but you know, um, whoever that prime minister is, like you get to pick those individuals within that group. Now, one thing to understand is we've always had advisory bodies, you know, under the last few uh, PMs, we've had advisory bodies to the Prime Minister. We've had, you know, things like ATSIC. We've had many different sort of forms of these bodies dating back to like the 70s as well. So we know that these things haven't worked because they haven't been on the terms of uh, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people. You know, and, and, and those, you know, like ADSIC wasn't the be all and end all, but it was a self-funded organization that was doing a whole lot in different parts of the country, you know, funding a lot of community programs as well, uh, as well as sort of national sort of movements. Like I remember, like you look at like the themes for NADOC around ADSIC time, like they were very radical. Mm. Yeah. You know, stop like deaths in custody, the bringing them home report, you know, like uh, they're really talking about, you know, really radical issues and, and bringing it to the forefront. And you look at that, you know, nowadays, like sadly to say, like a lot of the NADOC events have been co-opted by uh, military slogans, uh, police, uh, mining companies, you know, like these really sort of far right sort of thinking uh, or oppressive uh, organizations that, you know, don't necessarily have, you know, the average or Torres Strait community in their best interest as well. So I think... Uh, when we're talking about treaty, we go as radical, you know, and if I was somebody in a position to sort of say, hey, this is what I want, you know, mm. I'd say before we have any kind of discussion, you know, we need to be on some sort of equal playing form, you yeah. know, like we need to have, you know, reparations, you know, we need 3% at least or 10% of the yearly revenue sort of, you know, we're giving out to Aboriginal people. We need land given back, you know, mm. land that's already owned, like whether it's freehold land, native title land, certain parts of national parks that go on significant sites as well. You know, we need a a halt to sort of mining companies destroying land as well. Like at the moment, for my mob, um, you know, the Native Title Tribunal here uh, up this way just gave the green light uh, for Santos to drill 850 gas wells into the Pilliga as well. So I think we, you know, need to put more into into the bucket than, than less. You know, because yeah. we're coming from an unequal sort of position anyways. You know, yeah, we're exactly. the ones who are scratching at the bucket to sort of or at the door to try and get in for for a conversation. So I think if momentum continues to build as it is on the twenty sixth of January, I think things will get closer to that. I don't think mm-hmm. anytime soon there'll be, you know, uh, a call for treaty or, you know, and, and that's why they're sort of trying to to really push uh this voice to parliament, you know. It's always been a distraction, this conversation to sort of get us away from uh, the real things that are happening, uh, the real conversations that are happening, uh, or the real conversation that we need to have, mm. but also the conversations that are happening in community as well. 
that's really interesting, Bo. I'm, I'm interested in your relationship to the campaign, though. I mean, let, like, let's let's assume that this referendum is going to go ahead. Linda Burney, Indigenous ministers, come out with a, with more, more detail if if it all gets passed. If Labor has the numbers to honour the commitment that they're elected on to happen in in potentially August, I'm just interested in how you think the yeah the more radical section of Aboriginal politics in this country might relate to that campaign. Whether you would abstain, invest particularly in yes or no, or how, how would you feel about that campaign playing out this year? Well, this is the funny thing. Like, this is the conversation that we've been having for years. For yeah. last. And you think if, 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 you know, if there's a vote in, in regards to, you know, changing the constitution, this is how it's going to look. You know, mob who are for it are going to vote. You're going to have your well-meaning white people that are going to vote for it. You're going to have your radical mob going to vote no. And you know who else is going to vote no? All the racists. <laughs> so it's yeah, very, very exactly. funny. You know what I mean? And, you know, like, like once there's a, a – well, this is the thing, like, the, the, you know, it's a multimillion-dollar campaign to, to begin with, you know, and it's a campaign that's been funded or supported by, you know, uh, corporations like Rio Tinto, and we know the history mm. uh, in Aboriginal communities. And, you know, we know that when they had the, the, the Uluru gathering, you know, all those years ago, that there, there was a section of the mob who were invited that walked down and it pretty much abstained or not abstained, but just, you know, disagreed with uh, what was happening and, you know, were sort of, uh, bullied into the position of not really, uh, uh, being allowed to sort of, you know, or being, or being bullied to the point where they, where they walked out of the room, you know, not, not being heard, not being listened to properly, you know, but we don't hear these things as well. There was a huge, you know, um, not a huge, but there was a quite a significant number of mob that walked out. Sister Lydia was one of those ones that walked out. Yeah. And if you have a chat to her, she'll sort of, you know, I guess reinforce sort of what happened on that day as well. Uh, her sister Mariki, who's you know, heavily involved in the war, was there as well. You know, uh, Annie Jenny Munro, who's, you know, been a long time advocate and activist, you know, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people since, you know, she's like 17 years old uh, mm. back in, in the old days at the embassy. It's, you know, like, like these things in, uh, haven't even been heard of or uh, don't get said. And, you know, it's like, like, like we've been up against, you know, the April since the beginning of this. One thing that we used to do back in the day, like we'd go to the All-Stars games because, you know, they had the, the, the red R on their shoulder, like for the recognized campaign and we'd hand out flyers, yeah. you know, at the mm. front of the game. Like that's how we've been able to sort of push this sort of uh, back and they've had to sort of uh, uh, switch and change how they sort of, you know, want to add Aboriginal people to the constitution or create this new body that will eventually sort of have uh, not as much power as well. In regards to voting, that's how it will play out. The funny, uh, the, the funny thing about it, I know like a lot of mob that, you know, will vote yes and I know a lot of mob that will vote no if, uh, yeah, when it comes to that time as well. I know a lot of people actually in the campaign uh, who, who are heading up it. Like, like, you know, I'm very familiar with Brother Tom you know, he's, a, he's an amazing unionist, uh, his background and in supporting our campaign to stop Santos. You know, mm. And then on the other hand, he's, you know, running this uh, national campaign to sort of, you know, that I disagree with. And he knows that I disagree with it as well. And we've had many conversations, you know, over the time as well, over the last couple of years about it as well. So it's, it's definitely a funny thing. You know, uh, we're going to do as much as possible to sort of, you know, stall or even hijack this campaign to sort of to show that, there are more conversations out there that need to be heard. And yeah. even if this thing gets up, it's not it's not going to drastically or radically change this nation. You know, like a voice to parliament isn't going to change institutional racism, which is the root cause of the de- demise and the destruction of sort of our communities and, 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 and what plagues, you know, us in regards to uh, kids being stolen and our mob dying yeah. in custody, like, you know, that, that's what we want to change in this nation is, is institutional racism, which... And when we talk about sort of frontier wars and when we talk about the, the sort of colonial legacy that exists today, institutions that came from England that existed, you know, in, in, in the sort of early days of sort of, uh, the, the, the formation of New South Wales and then sort of later Australia are the same institutions that exist today. Yeah. And I wanted to, to talk a little bit about the, the frontier wars because obviously you do a podcast, have done a podcast for, for a while now called Frontier War Stories which kind of challenges that denial of mm. frontier wars, a denial of the idea that there was organised Aboriginal resistance to a military invasion and a war. Mm-hmm. And you talk about like a lot of the time the frontier wars is kind of defined as, as a period between 1788 until the 1930s, but I know there's also an argument that that war is ongoing, like that that war hasn't 
ended, which I think is a really interesting idea. Like, are you able to talk a little bit more about that? Definitely. Well, like, like one of the things that we're running with in regards to the campaign for uh, Invasion A and onwards is Treaty Before Voice and the War. Mm. You know, so we're still sort of, you know, keeping this this conversation rolling as well. And it's looking at sort of, you know, institutions that exist today, you know, that yeah. impact on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. You know, as early as like 1852, I think it was, in New South Wales, um, they were investigating Aboriginal people dying in custody. You know, mm. uh, they were really looking at sort of why mobs were coming uh, into custody and weeks later dying, you know. Um, there were, you know, um, in Western Australia, you know, we all heard of uh, Rottnest Island. You know, Aboriginal people built yeah. those prisons and they essentially died in them. But also, like, 10-year-old boys were locked up there and, you know, were chained and sort of marched to those places as well. Yeah, like... God, 10-year-olds in prison. Thank God we're not doing that anymore. Jesus, yeah. yeah, fuck. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy <laughs> to think as well, like, you know, them 10-year-olds that were getting locked up or some of them were, were participating in sort of various forms of frontier conflict as well. You know, mm. but they understood what was happening and what was drastically changing in their eye, you know, before their eyes as well. You know, uh, just like their parents, they understood, you know, the importance of sort of defending country as well. Then also, you know, they were kidnapped and they were taken. And, you know, like the majority of uh, conflict that initially started early on in, in sort of the, in different colonies and different pockets uh, around the country started because of, there was a, you know, the, the ratio between men and women, you know, um, and we know what happens in those early days. You know, women get kidnapped mm-hmm. uh, from, you know, older women to young women and they're used uh, as sex slaves as well. And this was a huge response uh, from Aboriginal men and other, you know, Aboriginal mob in those days to sort of, you know, punish these people for doing, you know, these horrendous uh, things. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because this period of time is, you know, there's always a sort of, thought that Aboriginal people just laid down and died or, you know, just gave up. Or we, or we hear this thing like the country was settled in 78 then federated in 1901 and then there was a huge gap of, you know, what happened yeah. in between. You know, Seen missing. Like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yada, 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 federation. Yeah, yeah fucking yeah, hell. Literally, literally, and, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just that same old sort of tale. You know, Victor that wins the war sort of tells the yarn, you know, and mm. – you know, a lot of the people, a lot of the historians and researchers and people that I've had on the podcast told, like, you can't necessarily, well, there's no way to deny this history that these things have happened because they were written as they were happening, either in the newsletters or in the letters sent back to the families in England and stuff as well. Um, you know, yeah. like, it's, it, the, the writing is there. You know, you have conservative historians or even, like, you know, politicians like, you know, John Howard sort of saying, nah, you know, uh, these things never happened. Or, you know, um, Abbott or one of them saying, yeah, this was, it was barren land. You know what I mean? Like, there was the, it was bushland. I think he, mm. he, he, uh, he said all, or, uh, Morrison saying there was no slavery in this country. You know what I mean? Like, these things yeah. are written. The, the ships his ancestors rolled on had slaves in them. The first fleet had slaves, had military officers, as well as sort of, you know, um, well, the first governor in Australia was a military officer as well. Um, it was a very thought out, uh, process in regards to getting this continent. Mm. Well, those are the kind of stories that you can hear on Bo's awesome podcast. If you haven't checked it out yet, please do. Frontier War Stories, bospearum.podbean.com is a link to go. We'll put the links in the show notes too if people want to uh, listen to that pod. And uh, are there any other ways that people can get involved with the kind of work that you're doing with with war or what have you, Bo? Um, I, I guess just show up really, you know, um, and just not on an invasion day, you know, like countless mm-hmm. things happen, you know, to, to, to black fellas throughout the year more often. Uh, and, uh, you know, true solidarity is, is showing up when it counts. Don't get me wrong, but like we love the solidarity on, on Invasion Day and, you know, it's become sort of like a symbol of, you know, it's, it's become a thing where, you know, people want to come to this, uh, then rather go to the barbecue and they question sort of that as well. And, you know, I'm sure that's sort of what happens in white households. I wouldn't have a clue if it does, but you know what I mean? Like they question that, you know what I mean? And, mm. and, and, and so like we need uh, those questions. You know, you know, to continue. Um, if there's, if there's one thing that I can give away, it's starting to be comfortable being uncomfortable, you know, with things that are happening uh, in this country as well, especially to black fellas. Cause, you know, once we feel uncomfortable, then, you know, we have a moment to sort of address sort of that uncomfortability and sort of see how we can engage with that feeling. Um, and then, you know, get involved in what's sort of happening in your local area. 
depending on where you are, I'm sure there's blackfellas that are organizing, that are keen to do some things. Get involved in local groups. You know, you like get involved in your local sort of activist groups in your area. Uh, if they're around, don't go to these bloody conspiracy theorists and, you know, end up on any watch list now. Um, <laughs> Good or, advice. Yeah, or end up trying to take over the embassy like these other clowns did. Yeah, yeah. No, fantastic like, advice. Yeah. Advice. You know, there, there's a fine line now. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and there used to be. We used to, you know, sort of know the conspiracy theorists and, and the rednecks. Now they're sort of merging into this sort of mm. one weird sort of bubble, like um, that. You know, yeah, just blurring the lines. But anyways, yeah, definitely get involved uh, on on Invasion Day. You know, if you are on social media and if you do support uh, the sort of no side of things, definitely jump on there and you know hashtag Treaty Before Voice. You know, because we're definitely going to be making that call on the twenty sixth of January. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Bo. Great to have you on. Thanks, mate. Awesome. Thank you very much. The people who see something horrible happen in the world and they run to their social media and they all write down the exact same thing. My thoughts and prayers. Do you know what that's worth? Fucking nothing. <laughs> Fucking less than nothing. All you were doing is saying, don't forget about me today. Don't forget about me. Lots of crazy distractions in the news right now, but don't forget how sad I am. If you can, please make sure that you get to an Invasion Day rally on Thursday. We'll chuck a link in the show notes to a list of, of Invasion Day rallies around the country. If you're not sure where, there's a local one. If you can't get to one, we'll also put the link in there to pay the rent. Um, you can go check out Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance. I think there's just chapters in Melbourne and Brisbane, as I understand it. There's like a Facebook right. page. Um, we'll chuck that in the show notes as well as the link to Bo's podcast, Frontier War Stories. So please check them all out. But, yeah, make sure that you can get along to an Invasion Day rally and help out if you can. I don't know what other Greens do in other cities, but a lot of the time, like for the last few years at least, the Greens in Queensland in Brisbane have run the barbecue for the Invasion Day rally in Mianjin. So, uh, there's lots of work to do, chopping fruit and onions and staffing the barbecue and filling up water and dropping things off and all that. That's probably happening in a lot of places around the country. So please get in touch with the local Greens and see how you can lend a hand. Genuine question because the Labor government just announced they're like getting rid of the idea that you, that you, that you can't mm. um, work on January 26th. I know there are lots of there are companies who say we'll work on it and employees can change the public holiday to another day. Is it better no. to work on January 26th and reject the idea of it being a, a day of celebration or take the day off and go along to an Invasion Day rally? Take the day off and go to an Invasion Day rally. Like is it right. better to, yeah, go to work, a bad leftism, and desert <laughs> First Nations, like not stand in solidarity with First Nations people protesting genocide and like ongoing injustice so that you can work? No, no. Well, I think the dream would be able to get paid but then still go to the Invasion Day rally. If you can oh, get like money say you're working, but then go. Yeah. Okay, and then just fuck that. off. Yeah, I'm working from home today. And then you're out there in the, in the rally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Protesting. All right. Sure. That's good praxis. Um, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review. We really want to um, grow the show and go fucking bonkers in 2023. Any help we you can do that would way, be fantastic. Baby. We want to all go the way. all the way. 6,000 patrons by December 31st. Yeah, that's our target. <laughs> Email us too. Hello at seriousstageofpod.com anytime you like. Thank you, people. We love you. Bye. Good to be back. This is a serious danger to Australia.